I love that journey as an artist and as a creator, which I think is such a similar profound journey for anyone who's moving in a space, like an entrepreneur who's, or someone who's been in business their whole life, who's thinking about stepping into entrepreneurship, realize that there is so much unconscious income, so things that you don't even know, <laughs> then yeah. you start to become aware yeah. of what you don't know. Welcome to Heroes of Purpose, the movement of established and emerging leaders taking a stand to change the world through purpose-driven entrepreneurship. And welcome to the Heroes of Purpose podcast, where we talk with the successful entrepreneurs in our community who teach you and our programs how to use purpose-driven entrepreneurship to make a difference and create a meaningful impact on earth. I'm your host, George Mason Lante. Heroes, welcome to the show. I'm your host, George Mason Lante. This interview today is with my friend, Robert. Robert is not only a NASA space scientist, but he is also an incredible entrepreneur. And a lot of this episode, we actually go very deep into meditation and specifically sound healing. And so this is something that we care a lot about here at Heroes of Purpose because we really believe that helping people come to a better state of being, to a better state in their mental health is one of the best ways that everyone can make an impact. So I hope that you learn a lot and enjoy the show. So just to dive in, part of what I know you for is, and of course I think it's so beautiful that you have this technological understanding of it well, but it's your, your understanding of sound. And I know that that's a big part of what you're doing with this new work that you're creating. And it's also part of the work that you bring in as a facilitator when you're helping other people work through emotional pieces. So I just want you to like, just start with dropping us into sound and really what are some of the most juicy things that you're thinking about right now with sound? Mm. That's a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's so simple, even just a single tone. So to think about a singing bowl, it's very close to what we'd call a sinusoidal waveform, meaning that we can hear the fundamental very clearly. And depending on how I strike, you can start to hear the fifth, the fourth. So what brings richness to any singing bowl is the layering between the fundamental each one of the partials, each one of the harmonics. It's the same thing that brings unique character to each one of our voices. So that's what differentiates your voice from mine. It's just very subtle differences in the vocal tract. And that was called vocal formants. And so that's why your voice sounds like yours, mine sounds like mine, a dog sounds like a dog, a trumpet sounds like a trumpet. The beautiful thing is just the nuanced complexity of even this sound here, it's not just like the emergency broadcast system. It pulses, it ebbs, it flows, it has life, it rises, it falls. And there are a lot of conversations around should we be tuning to 430 hertz, should we be tuning to 432 hertz, things of this nature. But when I think about sound, I think about music, I think at a very visceral, embodied, emotional level. So for me, when I was younger, I'd pull out pots and pans and I'd 
thing on them and I'd make a lot of sound and I just, oh, I love to just get messy and I love to sit in front of any piano and my organ. I'd sit over at my grandmother's place and I'd pull out all the stops and make different sounds. And so for me, sound was play. Sound was fun. And music became a language of communication. And so I think what's particularly special for me in my life is that I have this feeling that when I sit down to create, when I sit down to share a musical experience, that I'm able to translate, I'm able to transmit my emotional experiences to others in a very direct way through musical expression, whether it's through song, whether it's through production or through breathscape, which is the technology that turns the, app, that turns the breath into music. I'm able to help facilitate experiences for others where my emotional body, I feel, touches their emotional body directly and there's this sort of resonance between the two and that i find is a profound level of intimate connection that can be shared and if you're close and you're toning with someone else or you know just with a lover like with all the sounds that they make for me just the auditory world is so juicy so yummy and so alive and just a single new piece of music can make my week like you know you hear that song and it's like oh it's so good Wow. I love that so much. And something that's so interesting about you is the way that you've really dived so deep in both of the sides of sound, right? You've, you've d dove so deep into the technology of it and the understanding of it from a logical side, but then also into the artistic side and into the emotional side. And so I'm super curious, what are some of the most profound links that you've found between those worlds. And as you've explored them in depth, how have they informed each other? Mm. Great question. I've had the profound honor of working as a NASA fellow and sitting in rooms with brilliant, brilliant scientists. And it's funny when you think about the notion of science, sometimes we think about a beaker, a test tube, somewhere in a lab coat. You think about a very sterile environment. But to be in those rooms, it was anything but. I was, uh, Thomas Ubukin was one of my advisors, and he's now the head of space missions with NASA. And the group that he pulled together was just so electric. We'd be sitting there, and someone would throw up a diagram of all these colors, and they'd say, well, oh, well, what if we build an instrument? And then suddenly someone's going in, like, putting up Maxwell's equations, and looking, and then we drive it there, and someone goes, I just saw my figure a week ago, and they go, and they boom, and they pull it out, and oh, just the energy was so high. And so if you can imagine, I was brought into this group in my background, uh, performing arts technology, so uh, technologist, creator, designing new interfaces, and uh, didn't know shit about space research. <laughs> I don't know how we are with the French here, but uh, I just felt very inspired right there. And it's very true. I didn't know anything about space science at the time. And so to be in that space, I just absorbed everything, and I informed my intuition. And when it came to the process of creation, I created from a space whereby I felt like I'd had so many one-on-one, -on -one with one-on-ones with the research scientists. I'd uh, sunk very deeply into the concepts. I took like the upper-level space physics practicum course just to like dive into that and to see what people were doing and to get a better sense for kind of like what kind of maths are involved. And with this informed intuition, I was then able to leave that world of science with a departure point being my own vehicle of artistic expression. And I think that that's a beautiful interplay 
is when we learn something like Josh Waitzkin, he's the author of The Art of Learning. And he calls this numbers to lead numbers. It's like you learn the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, which must be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, five, one. You learn your scales so that they're in your body so that you just automatically play them. And then at that point, you can just uh, let the mind fall away and it's just there. It's totally in you. It's like that idea of you start with unconscious incompetence. And so you don't know what you don't know. And then you move to the, wait, how does it go? <laughs> conscious incompetence is like, okay, now I know what I don't know. And then conscious competence. Okay. Now I have a sense of, I can do this. And then finally unconscious competence. I don't need to think about it and I can do it. Mm. And I, I love that journey as an artist and as a creator, which I think is such a similar profound journey for anyone who's moving in a space, like an entrepreneur who's, or someone who's been in business their whole life, who's thinking about stepping into entrepreneurship, realize that there is so much unconscious incompetence so things that you don't even know. <laughs> then yeah. you start to become aware yeah. of what you don't know. And then you start to integrate that. And then you move to the place of, okay, this is in my body now. But that feeling of like, whoa, there's just so much can be a little overwhelming. And so I like referencing the art of learning because it's an act of falling in love with learning again. And so to, to bring it back full circle to kind of like that intersection of the science and the arts, I would create from a place where I'd start by, because I'm you know, working with high technology, working with satellite data sets. And so I'd start by creating the structure and making sure that I'm working with the data in a way that's true to the data sets. If I'm working with the solar winds, I worked a lot with the sun and solar data. I'd make sure, okay, I can graph the velocity of the particles and everything's flowing correctly. And then once I had that set, then I would just step back and start exploring different intuitive mappings. And I would know different things about different data parameters. And I'd allow my intuition to say like, oh, if this thing's getting hotter, then maybe the sound should get brighter. If this thing is expanding, then maybe there should be more reverberant space. And that's then taking all of that knowledge and setting it directly into the subconscious supercomputer. And so I think that one thing that I really like is the way in which when you see musical performers operating at a very high level, it's similar to you know, the tennis player, which is similar to the business executive. Like these are people, I think that oftentimes we discount the benefit and the power of just simple experience. People can get into this idea of having an entity mindset of like, oh, I don't know something that's scary versus the incre incremental mindset of I don't know something and I can learn mm. that. And that takes away one layer of judgment. And the research is definitive that your children are raised in that sort of environment of like, oh, you didn't get a good math score because you're not good at math. They're the ones who, when they hit upper level calculus and then suddenly they get that grade and if their identity is attached to that grade and for them, they're now questioning everything and they say, well, then I just uh, must not be my thing. Let me find my other thing. But to fall in love with learning again, I think is ultimately what can be so beautiful about the life path that we're on. And music was such a beautiful vehicle to help me remember my love of learning mm -hmm. as I stepped into this use of sound to explore the universe. I love that so much. And I think that is such a profound way to say it in terms of when people step into this layer of brilliance, when they are these NASA scientists creating, or when they're the tennis player, or when they're the musician, or any field, that's the irony is it all comes back to that same place in this state of flow where everything is just falling into place there. 
And what I'm super curious to hear your thoughts on is it's a really, it's a really funny irony, right? Because you think of a um, traditional scientist and, you know, they are in that sterile environment. They're just being very logical and it's a very, things are being built, but then there isn't that liveliness. And you think of what many people think of as more of a hippie, right? And they're totally chill and they're doing <laughs> yoga and they're doing all that stuff. And it's like beautiful world. But then they also, there can be at least a stigma. And at times I think the stigma can be true that there's less creation from that place. And so I'm super curious to hear your thoughts on what is the process of building those up together so that we can be as Mind Valley likes to say, or we like to to reduce the French a little bit, but it's the boss Buddha, or you're not just the Buddha chilling, and you're not just the boss, but you're the boss Buddha. So I'm just super curious on this learning model. How do we, yeah, how do we look at that in terms of really being able to have both of those layers being built together? Mm. I'd say coming out of the gate <laughs> to stop the demonization of the mind. <laughs> mm. The mind is not the mm. enemy. And that when we think about the research that's taking place at very high levels, there are brilliant research scientists. And so even that notion of like, oh, there's traditional science and that happens in the lab coat. Like my experience at NASA was I felt like the hippies outweighed the traditional scientists. In terms of the conversations <laughs> that you'd have around the, the table at lunch. I mean, the person I worked with, like he uh, made his way through MIT pretty much self-taught. He'd just get the books. He wouldn't even show up to the classes. And this guy loved to play guitar. He loved to sing in the choir. And so he just loved life like this was an amazing charismatic soul and like i learned so much from my time there not just like filling up my brain but also really like filling up my heart wow. and my spirit with these people like yeah very grounded and very powerful souls and you you find them everywhere and so i i, I don't want to like subconsciously put out there that like oh as soon as you step into nasa goddard space flight center you're met by like the person in the coat and like you know those those people are there but um I, I think that we're we're all on our unique path and that there's room for those who are falling in love with the architecture of thought to a slightly mm. higher degree and just the way that thought can move and the way that it can rise up and build structures and the way that it builds, you know, you might call this a primitive technology compared to this, the phone, right? But we start with... <laughs> like you know very <laughs> the stick and then we evolve into something a little bit more manufactured a little bit with a little bit more architecture behind it and then we can start to see asymptotically you know what is this approaching i think that we're approaching a world in which we'll have so much support for the framework of thought and i think that this is something important to unpack because ideas concepts beliefs we can look at all of these as like scaffoldings for the mind. And I think to that extent, they're useful so long as they help the mind to drop into that state of flow and to simplify our understanding of the world around us. It's like we could use any number of metaphors to invoke any number of situations. Like my research, I could say like, oh, I was like a, a, a clown in a circus listening for the right instrument playing on the, but like, that metaphor, like, why the clown? Why the circus? It's not really useful. And then you're thinking about circus peanuts and we have all this cognitive dissonance and you're thinking about the, ele <gasps> the elephant trunk. And so just by invoking the wrong metaphor, 
all of a sudden that you're sitting in a whole different camp and then it's effort to bring you along with me. Versus if I say, you know what, my work as a research scientist is kind of like if we're riding in a car together and I'm just trying to tune in to the right radio station and I very slightly tune the dial and all of a sudden I'm listening to it's like solar wind whooshing. Then all of a sudden when that right metaphor clicks in, you can follow it all the way down because like tuning a dial while listening to different frequency ranges and I can also talk about different frequency bandwidths. That's something that I work with. So that's a helpful metaphor. Let's try another metaphor. Listening to the solar wind is like, if I'm in the middle of a storm and I'm hearing thunder and lightning, then trying to find certain frequencies in the solar wind is like listening for a sinusoidal waveform. So it's like listening for a tone amongst noise. And then this metaphor, something about the simplicity of it, the directness of it, all of a sudden it's like, I fully invited you into the idea space. And it's so congruent with, with the work that I've done that we can take this one metaphor and go all the way down because it's a sound scaffolding. It goes all the way down to the core of the idea. And so from this, based off of that now slightly more intuitive metaphor than a clown listening for an instrument, right? I feel like even just based off that metaphor, you could think about that for five minutes and you could give a short talk on what it would be like to do the solar wind analysis work that I've done. And so I think that just being aware of the metaphors that we're invoking, the structures that we're creating for ourselves, like myself, you might not think it, but I've got this whole spreadsheet system that I've been working off of to keep myself accountable. And so each day I'm using quantified self, I'm giving myself points. At the end of the day, I check in, I see where am I landing, which is where I want to be. I've got an accountability circle at the end of the week. I blast out this message to all of them and I say, okay, this is where my numbers are and this is where I wanted my numbers to be. But again, it's the numbers to leave numbers because that structure, which you could say inherently feels like it's more mind activity, helps me to actually drop out of the mind. So I find the right scaffolding mm, and then once the scaffolding is in place, I that's such a good drop way out of it. it. Yeah, and I love that so much. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed in my transformational journey is, you know, I think that sometimes we can get stuck in, oh, we're doing all of this work. We're doing all of these workshops. But then what actually really helps that is when I ground that knowledge and that information into, like you were saying, new structures, new routines, or when I just create something with it, mm. right? It's almost like if I'm working on a hero and I create the new product, that product becomes the anchor for like the level that we can be at, even doing these podcasts, right? It's like we can always, even if we don't actually look back at them, just the fact that we created them mm. cements in our minds like, yeah, like that yes! was the level that we got to. <laughs> it's like from there, it's like there's that stability because otherwise we can be learning and learning forever. But if we're not creating something, it's like, where am I? Like what's, what's going on? And so I mm. love the way you talk about that. And so I'm super curious about from the other side too. So you had before mentioned some beautiful breath and embodiment techniques to yeah. go into. And so I'd love to be able to explore that in a moment. And before we do so, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do embodiment exercises, and that can be sound, that can be breath, that can be yoga, all of these pieces, how do those provoke the intellectual stimulation, right? We talked about how the mind can invoke the emotional stimulation and making all of that be better, but how does it go the other way? I like to think about the fact that our conscious mind 
actually has very limited capabilities and resources compared to the sub subconscious supercomputer. Mm. And one thing that I noticed when I dropped really deep into practice, and actually I'm super excited to share this next part mm. because one of the most profound spiritual practices that I've actually stepped into in my life as of late is taking long, hot baths. Mm. Just like 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, get the water like nice and hot. It naturally invokes more breath because you know your temperature starts to go up and your body pulls in more breath to keep itself in homeostasis. One of the most beautiful aspects of this is that I start, I get in, the water is just nice, it's warm, like, oh, this is relaxing. And then I notice the thoughts are kind of doing what they naturally do. And then I notice, okay, it's feeling slightly uncomfortable. My breath starts to elevate to meet that level of discomfort. And then it's somewhere around the 15 minute point where I absolutely fall out of that just busy, monkey, scattered, scavenging type of mind. And all of a sudden, a new thought comes in. It's almost like a single ripple just entering into like a new pool. And this new thought might be somewhere at the intersection of various idea spaces that I've been exploring. And this actually, because uh, I founded the Mind Ensemble at the University of Michigan and we were making music from brainwaves. At the same time, I was working with these research scientists making music from satellite data. But at the time I was like, we've got this big performance coming up with the brainwave stuff and I haven't even built the interface for that yet. So I've got these composers who are waiting for me to build this thing so that they can actually create pieces of music from the brain. And I'm like, what do I do? And so I took a bath. And it was in the bath that, and like, you know, think about it going into that. You think, ah, do I have enough time? I don't know. I should, I have to work on this all weekend. Can I really slow down and take a bath? Can I afford myself that? And I dropped it in the bath. I trusted the intuition and 25 minutes into the bath, just click. one part of my brain connects to the other part of the brain. And I saw mm. these are two different things. The interface for working with the solar wind data was the exact same interface that I needed for the brainwave data. And it was so wow. similar, actually. I just made a copy of the file. I just renamed a couple of parameters and everything just worked immediately. Wow. I plugged in the brainwave data and everything just started to flow. That's so, so what I thought was going to be like 48 hours of like conscious working time was about a half hour of just plug and play. Heroes, would you like to experience what it's like to be a purpose-driven entrepreneur? This summer, we're hosting Hero Experience Remote, an online program where you will find a mission that inspires you, build an audience for a purpose-driven brand you create and a team of your peers, and most importantly, become connected to over 10 established entrepreneurs leading the program who will be there to guide your journey for life. Imagine yourself jumping on calls with Inc. Magazine's top-ranked entrepreneurs change the world, NASA space scientists, and people running multi-million dollar companies that are actually making the world a better place. When you enroll in Hero Experience, you will automatically provide a scholarship to the program for a student in need. These are students with brilliant minds whose families sometimes make less than one or $2,000 per month. By enrolling, you automatically provide these people with a chance to change their lives. And by taking the program beside them, you realize just how much good we can all do in the world. Participants in our programs have gone on to become best-selling authors, launch six-figure sustainable e-commerce products, and raise seven-figure venture capital rounds for purpose-driven companies. After only 10 hours a week for four weeks, you will walk away with a blueprint for how to make an impact while creating an income and following your passion. 
Go to heroesofpurpose.com slash programs to apply. If you're listening to this after the summer, there's sure to be something else that's even more enticing. That's heroesofpurpose.com slash programs. Say you're a listener of this podcast and we'll make sure to forward your application. Now back to the show. That's such a good way to look at it. And you know, Steve Jobs, I think, was the one who said that creativity is the interconnection between ideas. I think that's such a brilliant way to say it is that when we're able to drop into these emotional states, because when you drop into a bath, it's like, think about all of that anxious emotion that was coming up before. And you're, it's gearing you towards, oh, I need to work on this thing and have it be really difficult. When actually, when we allow ourselves to relax, we, you can almost see it, whether it's happening in this way or not, it's not as important, but it's, yeah, the brain is able to feel its way into a different sort of position. And the more heightened those emotions come mm. from the deeper that we drop in and you mm. can drop, I mean, everything is meditation is what I like to say. So it's like, you're dropping deep into a bath. Like that's dope. That's dope <laughs> meditation. It's way more interesting for people who are just starting out than just like sitting on a pillow forever and be like, oh, I'm trying to silence my mind. Oh, it's my like, butt hurts. What's going on? Yeah, it's <laughs> like you actually relax into it. And yeah, I just think that's such a, and such a good way to describe it. And the profoundity of that is not just in these more macro moments like this one, but it's actually on a micro moment to moment basis. It's like this sort of embodiment along with logical work helps us with breakthroughs on every single level, right? For this, it was 48 hours of work saved. It could be six months of work saved. It can be a lifetime. <laughs> yes. Multiple lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've saved myself many, probably billions of lifetimes at this point. <laughs> Let's go into That's really interesting. Let's go into uh, at least one of those. What's a lifetime that you feel like you have saved? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you know, like, thank the Lord that I had this uh, like kind of ear stuff come up that's really uh, confronted that part of me that believes that I just need to get stronger. I just need to keep pushing harder because I was the guy during my master's degree who just go to the gym every single morning and there was that there's always more work to be do, to be done i would always just bring in more energy and i was burning myself out i was burning the candle at both ends and i was taking on way too much and it was the perfect match for that part of the inner child that wanted to just prove itself you know the like daddy am i enough like mommy did i do this right you know and then it's just like i get the phd advisors and it just yeah the universe slots in the exact mirror that i need for that energy to just but luckily it also gave me a physiological condition that helped to unhinge that and so at the time i'm thinking like oh fuck this french again <laughs> i'm thinking this is absolutely what i'm not wanting this unhinges everything from the rails i can't Imagine the life now where I'm just going to work at Google. How can I speak in front of people? How can I get home at the end of the day and be totally wiped and going to the gym and going for a run? That was my go-to. If I felt really stressed and I, I was doing everything right, I checked all the boxes. I was cooking the healthy meals at home. Mm. I was drinking the smoothies. I was going to the gym and I was just like, yeah, I figured life out. And then it was right around this time that oof, something else started to come in. I'm like, oh no, you know, not that thing. And so right as I was feeling that moment of increased instability, I also was losing the foundation of release that exercise provided. Yes. And this is where I suddenly realized, what about that meditation? Thing? Yeah. 
what what was that all about? I think I did. I read an article on that. Was there a book? Eckhart was that someone's name? Eckhart Tolle. I think someone recommended a book on that, and suddenly I started to feel all these resources. Emerging. Yeah, I'm seeing them with, Ooh. with new eyes, Ooh. right? And I feel like the resources that we need in a moment manifest exactly as we need. Them. And there's that like one subconscious, unconscious layer that can say like, "Oh no, like do I do I have enough?" right now like oh is this the right path is that the right path and it's like you can have the right teaching at the wrong moment you can have the wrong teaching at the right moment it's just like how is it resonating with your body and getting really clear really quickly on like oh that feels yummy that yeah. doesn't feel yummy so now the, actually the radio station metaphor works yes. a lot better because if you're riding along if you know one meditation practice then you're going to sit down and you're going to be like uh, meditation doesn't feel good right now because you're only listening to hard yeah, rock. And you're yeah. saying like, I don't like music because hard rock doesn't sound good right now. Yes. But it's actually, you have one technique. Yes. So if now you say, I want to know what else is out there. You open up your perspective a little bit and you say like, okay, a bath, can that be a meditation? Yeah. Walking, can that be a meditation? I love it so Breath much. Work, what is this about? And so for me, what the tool that I had was exercise and you know pound it out and it yes. worked while it worked thankful for it and you know i'm still doing yoga and all this kind of stuff and i think that that's important and also then just finding that right balance and i, I think that i've saved myself lifetimes of just curling and yeah. thinking that this is the answer for everything when now there's more of a balance between the physical the mental the emotional and all the systems are coming in line together and there's other ways i would have learned of life course. lessons of course but this just happened to be a very rapid way of to course. integrate them yeah that's and there's three pieces in there that i really got out from that that i think were just so valuable and the first one i would say is this idea that when you you mentioned these resources manifesting and i think that's really a a great way to look at what happens as we do the transformational work is it helps us drop into the layers where we realize the resources and we have the insights for the path moving forward. Like you were saying, tuning the dial, it tunes our dials into these different pathways. Because otherwise, if we aren't intentional about transformational work, then we can be going in a pathway that's really not making us happy. I was hanging out with two people who have very much flipped and become amazing, conscious, entrepreneurial investors, but that were for a long time, they were talking about the sales, the sales life. And they were talking about this life of starting to just make like wild money, but then just like doing coke all the time, right? To be able to keep up. And I was just, I was like, just like draw drop because I didn't go through that, right? So I was just like, wow, that is a very fascinating journey. And it's constantly manifesting this life that you don't want. Whereas when we're like, oh, let's meditate on love or not just love, but let's love, meditate on love and success. Let's meditate on these archetypes that we want. Hey, mm. guess what? More pathways to those archetypes are going to show up in your life. So that's the mm. first thing that you mentioned. The second thing that you mentioned, which is so important, is yes, we need multiple ways to meditate because meditation is supposed to be fun. And I love to tell this story. So when I was 15, I asked my yoga teacher, is there a book on yoga for 15-year-olds who want to party. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I have no idea. She gave me like light on yoga by Iyengar. I was like, what is this? It's so dry. 
But that's the beautiful thing is that in this community that we're in, we're actually like, oh yeah, we got the fun meditation figured out. We were right. taking baths. We ecstatic were like dance. Doing ecstatic dance. Yeah, we were doing contact dance. We were doing ecstatic contact dance. We were doing like all, we we're doing sound healing. We we're doing like every single thing you could possibly want to do except with more intention. And so that's a massive insight. Mm. And then the last massive insight mm. is that it's what you said is it's, well, at least what I got from what you said is it's all about the underlying meditation of anything that we do. Because you can be drinking the healthiest smoothies, can be working out every day, you can be doing like an amazing job, you can have like every single thing on the outside. And the incredible <laughs> irony is you can be so miserable. So empty. And you can totally be a homeless baba on the street with like no food. You're just like, sits there and meditates and you can actually be like super blissed out yeah. all the time, right? You can be someone who is, even if it's not even that it's like, oh, well, like if I'm rich and successful, but then I'm like spending on Coke, of course I'm going to be unhappy. But if I'm rich and successful and I'm spending on smoothies and all this stuff, like I'm totally going to be happy. And then, but it's like, no, you're, <laughs> you, that's totally not the case because it's the meditation around everything we do. Right, I can drink a smoothie with a lot of like hate, <laughs> 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 or, or like Coach even Barry, even sub subtly, right? Like this idea of like, oh, I'm drinking this smoothie with like not loving myself, with thinking that like, yeah. oh man, if I'm not like drinking this smoothie, I'm like not the person I need to be, or oh, I'm working out because I feel insecure, and I don't. Mm. Wow, you will very quickly break yourself down. Mm. Or you could even drink like a can of Coca Cola and be like, oh man, I am rewarding myself. Like I am a god. <laughs> Not up. sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> not sponsored by Don't drink Coca-Cola. Um, but you could be doing that and it would be so much healthier. Yeah. And so, mm, so one thing amazing. came up that I'd love to offer is a practice that if you're eating a meal by yourself, that you can turn this into a gratitude exercise by thinking something that you're grateful for with each bite that you take. Yes. And it might make the meal five minutes longer. But with your sensitivity, tune into the felt sense of you eat a meal and you're just thinking about whatever and you're just putting the food in the mouth and you're checking the phone versus you eat a meal, you're fully there with the food. It's a sensual exercise. And at the same time, with each bite, you're thinking about a new thing that you're grateful for. And it's fine if, you know, for a couple bites, you're just like, oh, it's so good. And then you remember, oh, right, gratitude. <sighs> and you settle back in. That's fine. But... Truly, it's, it can be a really beautiful experience. And I think that that's one of the things that can be so nice is when we start to feel those kind of like deeper feelings of childhood that we forgot are mm. in our sensoriums that like, yeah. oh, wow, I forgot what that was like when I woke up on Christmas morning and I saw mm. the glint in my mother's eye or I forgot right when I like held my dog and then we went for that walk on the beach together. It's like one of the signs of progress on the path is that suddenly I'll just have this like flash of a memory come mm. up and a feeling and I'm like, oh, I forgot that I could feel that. That's nice. <laughs> so when you're sensitive to the subtle energies moving through your meal, then that food can then anchor that gratitude into our bodies. And so you can eat a McDonald's cheese. No, we're not doing any more product placements today. 
What do you call it? Five ninety nine for a song for the moment. God, <laughs> much much better pot placements. Yeah. Um, can save up all of those. Can save up all of your Starbucks lattes that you drink yeah. every single day, and that's. Well, is it like $35 a week and then you yeah. go up and then that becomes what, like $1,000 a month mm-hmm. and then that's like, maybe I'm doing, maybe no. Is that, is that no? I'm not going to do the math right now. You're something that, you save that up and then how yeah, much for life? about a thousand, yeah. Anyway, this um, has been such a beautiful conversation. So I know that we also want to do some of these more embodiment exercises to make sure that you all check out the video on that. We'll probably put that in a separate video and we can do- go do that in a moment. Um, but just to wrap up this portion of what we are doing, we would like to ask you the sort of our question that we like to ask all of our guests here, which is, and we can round it up with everything that we've talked about because everything that we've talked about is so, it's just so pinpoint into what this is all really about, which is just so beautiful. So for you, Robert, what does being a hero mean for you? Mm. From the tail end of that last conversation, there's something that really stuck in my mind and that was cultivating and gardening our own food. And when we really think about taking the practice of gratitude while eating to the kind of full degree. It's planting the seeds with love. It's bringing water nourishment with love. Talk to your plants, breathe on your plants. Like having that intense heart-centered relationship with the food that we grow. And I think part of being a hero is consciously cultivating your garden and knowing that there are weeds, there's some plants with thorns and knowing that where you're shining your light, that's what's growing. And that there's so much subtlety that's there. At the beginning, when you anchored us with that beautiful meditation, that there are always opportunities to slow down in every moment like the call of the bird in the distance, the sound of the traffic going by that sounds a little bit like ocean waves. And that's what immediately came up for me. It was just that bringing attention and awareness to the conscious cultivation and knowing that where we flow our energy, where we direct our light, that's what's going to grow. Mm. And recognizing that this is a journey and not a destination. Mm. And so waking up each morning, feeling that light flooding into our bodies, whatever that feeling is there, knowing that the internal doubt, insecurity, fear, at the beginning of the interview, like, oh, I want to do this right. The mind can paint all these pictures of the future based on the experience of the past. And then just being like, okay, that's a plant. It's here. I can water that with my love. I can just be with that. And so it's just a never-ending cultivation of love, compassion, a recognition.
recognition of our own biases, our judgments, preconceived notions, our conditioning, being gentle with ourselves and simultaneously holding that vision for the world that we want to bring into existence and shining our light accordingly. So wise. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you. Make sure you check out what Robert is doing with Breathscape. Very, very beautiful company. And plug real quick. Plug. If you have an iPhone, breathscape.app forward slash beta. So right now we have an open beta test. So you can download the technology. Uh, The phone picks up your breath in real time and generates music from the movement of your breath. So we'd love for you guys to try it. Love to open it up to your community or anyone who wants to download it. So please, I mean, I'm using it every day. It's transforming my life. So I'm so grateful to be able to offer that up. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely check that out. Heroes, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review in iTunes. We genuinely care about your feedback. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation. And every review helps us provide you with even more value. As we mentioned in the middle of the episode, every student who enrolls in Hero Experience Remote automatically provides a scholarship to the program for a student in need. If you have people in mind you think would be a great fit for a scholarship, be sure to visit heroesofpurpose.com programs in order to nominate them. Once again, that's heroesofpurpose.com programs. You might just change a life.